I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty gritty, so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... Nasubi, reality show torture victim. Who is Nasubi? He's a Japanese amateur comedian whose real name is Tamawaki Hamatsu. In the late 1990s, he won a raffle to be a contestant on a game show titled Prize Contest Life, where he had to live in a tiny room by himself, completely naked, no contact with the outside world, and only had a rack of magazines to read. The rules of the game were that he wasn't allowed to have any food, clothing, or anything else unless he won them through sweepstakes in one of the magazines. What ensued was 15 straight months of a man slowly losing his sanity live on television as Nasubi struggled to win enough food through the magazine contests to stay alive. He also ended up being the world's first video game live streamer, true reality TV celebrity, set multiple records, and served as a biting satire on modern consumer capitalism, and obviously predicted a modern world of celebrity obsession and attention economy that we currently live in. Act 1. A horror movie where capitalism is the monster. People are willing to put themselves through the worst circumstances in exchange for the things they value. It's hardwired into our instincts to subject ourselves to abject torture in the name of getting what we need. Usually these things we push ourselves to our physical and mental limits for are the basic necessities of life. Food, shelter, clothing. The circumstances we find ourselves in to achieve these things ranging from wrestling an animal carcass from the jaws of a hungry saber-toothed tiger on the barren plains, all the way to letting a retail Karen shit on you for 30 straight minutes because you didn't put enough pumps of vanilla bean syrup in her soy latte. Both horrifying in their own right, but all in the name of fulfilling the basic means of survival, eat, sleep, stay alive. But what about when your brain gets rewired to equally value something much weirder? What if we inextricably link survival to money and money to fame? What if all of our society gets restructured to make achieving celebrity the most important goal? What would we be willing to do for that? And who would seek to take advantage of it? And the biggest question, where is the line between personal responsibility and victimhood in a system where voluntarily subjecting yourself to awful circumstances in exchange for something you've been raised your entire life to value above all else is weaponized against you by people who see human suffering on tape as a fair trade for some sweet, sweet attention in a world where most people have been systemically brainwashed into craving it. In the late 90s, reality TV was a new idea, with basically just a handful of shows such as The Real World and Big Brother paving the way for what would eventually become the monocultural, inescapable human exploitation industrial complex that exists today. Whereas in today's society, pursuing cultural attention by debasing yourself in front of a camera is so commonplace and democratized that we all do it every single day on social media platforms such as TikTok, this idea of being famous for being famous by starring in a reality TV show was a gimmick in the late 90s. No normal person would have ever predicted that this new fad of filming people just kind of sitting there would overtake traditional narrative storytelling as the predominant form of entertainment in the world. Which is why perhaps it was taken so far so fast. Producers looking to squeeze as much juice out of the trend as possible before people lost interest in it, never asking themselves if normalizing voyeurism and humiliation as entertainment might one day lead to some weird cultural shit that we'd have a hard time coming back from. 
And then there's Japan, who, alongside getting in on the burgeoning new trend of reality TV in the late 90s, also had a well-documented and often parodied reputation for crafting outlandishly bizarre game shows designed around punishing and humiliating their contestants that spanned back to the 1970s with shows like Takeshi's Castle. But despite the relative newness of reality TV and the fact that nobody should really logically want to put themselves through hell just to achieve the very brief admiration of strangers, in the coming years we were going to learn together just how far people would be willing to go. But let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Unlike today, where publicly documenting your life seems like the only path to fame and fortune, in the late 90s it was a novel idea. In 1998, a game show airing on the Japanese television network Nippon TV called Sasume Dimpa Shonen held a raffle to choose a contestant for its upcoming season called A Life of Prizes or Prize Contest Life, depending on the translation. An aspiring Japanese comedian named Tamaoki Hamatsu entered, and he won. And he truly thought this was his chance to become successful. Alright, so we're watching this clip from Prize Contest Life. It's kind of setting up all these prospective... Uh, prospective contestants. There's probably about 15 to 20 people in this room. Yeah, there's there's 20 contestants, and then our boy, uh, our boy wins. He, he draws the lucky straw. And I, I think I think like the main thing you take away as you start to watch this, like just going into this, is like he's like a he's just a very kind of like he's he's like the perfect person that they could have chosen for this like for for better or worse he's just like an infinitely positive and like unflappable guy like no matter what you throw at him he's just like sure all this is this is fine like that's just his whole personality yeah, he's getting into a van, they're blindfolding him, they're putting headphones on him, it's snowing outside, they're taking him to the location where he's gonna be filmed. Uh, he's holding his little winning lottery ticket. Man, the jawline on that dude. That dude should be a superhero. He's got a jaw that's like, fucking 10 feet wide. As we'll get to, that's the, that's the, that's the, that's at least possibly the reason for his nickname. Which is... The, his 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 nickname is Japanese for eggplant, and it's either because of something else that we'll explain later, or it's because of his face shape, that his face looks like a like an eggplant. All right, so he's in the room now. There's a there's a little uh, pad, a pen, and some paper, and a radio, and a telephone, uh, and a stack of magazines on like an old school news. Uh, stand and uh, we're kind of looking around, seeing all of the stuff. And now the announce the the guy off camera just says, "Strip, get naked." And he's just like, "Oh, naked? Uh, okay." He took off all his pants and shirt, <laughs> and he's he's in his boxers, and he's like, "Nope, take it all off." In this car. Is this okay? No way. Wait, this isn't what I think it is, is it? <laughs> he, think, he thinks he's been roped in some porn. Confiscation of the clothes. What's going on? Under, underwear too? Wait, wait, you know, he's holding a cushion over himself now. What sort of plan is this? You don't understand? Magazines and postcards. But, but I don't get it. Some prize contest? Something prize contest related? Firstly, what should I do now? I want I want my clothes. I need to win them in prize contests? No way! 
For what reason? I can't believe. Uh, I can't. Pe- uh, can people? Oh shit! I don't know what he said that time. Yeah, it says can people can people only live on winning prize contests? Yeah, so we get we get like the whole setup here. So uh, number one, the room he's in. It's a tiny little room. It's the size of like a small. Well, not small, but it's it's the size of like a bedroom. Um, maybe a little bit bigger. Very tiny studio apartment. And it just has the bare essentials. Like he's got a bathroom and he's got like a kitchen area where you can cook things with a little hot plate thing and then a table and a phone. Those are the only amenities that he has. Aside from that, all he has in this room are magazines and envelopes. And also the other thing that we immediately get off the bat that we're going to be with for this entire episode, this entire ride is this dude naked. This is just this is how we this is how he's going to be. For the rest of this time. I wonder if you were in this situation, would you say yes to this? Would you? So you win the contest and you get in there. Would you say yes? Like, would you, when you found out, it was like, all right, you got to be naked on TV and live off of prize contest stuff. Would you, would you say yes to this? So it, it depends on what the, like, what I was getting out of it. Because like what he's getting out of this is that he just wants to be famous. And I would absolutely not do this for that. Like, what the the he is competing just to become he a famous guy he wants to like he wants to bolster his comedian career by getting like a 15 minutes of fame on tv and i would absolutely not do it for that like i have no interest in that i have no interest in exposing myself on tv and humiliating myself just for that if it was something that i valued more that i actually wanted if it was something that was like like how much money would it take like at the end to be a shimmering mirage to convince you to do that yeah i guess i guess that yeah money is a good way of saying it because like honestly it wouldn't like be that much because i i I wouldn't actually really care about that that much like like being naked like i've never really cared about that like i like Oh, I know. Oh, I I know. I used to work with you in an office and you like wore pants 15% of the time. I know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was... We, we called you uh, General Charlie Rose. Yeah, many, many, many HR experiences. But then when I went into HR, they also were not wearing pants and they were like, whoa, we're just kicking it. We're just having Spandrew Fridays. You don't know about this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Spandrew Fridays were great. But yeah, I would I, w- I wouldn't actually care about that. Like that's not a, like I'm not super self-conscious about stuff like that. So if it was something that I actually wanted, I could probably would do it. Like Yeah, but don't you think a camera changes that? Like I also like if I was just in my house naked for 15 months, like whatever, who cares? But I think I would probably be pretty uncomfortable if there was a camera that I knew was broadcasting that to like millions of people, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to be naked for 15 months for like comfort reasons. For sure. But at this point, he has no idea that he's committing to that. Yeah, man, it's just that's pretty intense, man. That's pretty fucking intense. And the idea that you don't get any food either. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's the bigger deal breaker for me. Like the fact that I would have to like because it's like not even it's not even hunting for food. It's like you have to win contests. Like I'd be like, no way. I'm not. No way. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm going to fucking starve to death. Because like best case scenario, let's say he he fills out a bunch of stuff and mails it off. It takes two days to get to the place that it's going to. And then he does win. Let's say he wins one of those things. What do you think he's going to they're not going to give him an award in one day. And then it's going to take a minimum of two days for the thing to get mailed to him. I mean, longer than that. Longer than that. Those ship, shipping times. were. This isn't fucking Amazon days. This is an Amazon Prime. This is no shit. 
You were you ordered something and would get there in like four weeks. Yeah. Like there's no way you could live off of that. I'm so curious to see how this pans out because. Well, yeah, I mean, in, in, without spoiling too much or whatever, the, in, in short, it's like it's just a it's just a numbers game and you're just slowly accruing more and more wins to the point where you just start getting waves of things. But yeah, that still I, I just I wouldn't do it like that's that's the thing that would be the like no fucking way. Is just the idea of having to like earn my food through contests. I feel like I would do it initially. And then once they like fucking strip me ass naked and we're like, you're going to starve to death in here. I'd be like, yeah, (laughs) okay, maybe I don't want to do this. Yeah. I mean, but it's just, yeah, it's just, it just speaks to the power of like the idea of getting famous has over some people because. Like it's not it's not even debatable to me. It's not even like oh tempting. Like I just I just full stop have no interest in doing this. I mean it's funny because we'll get we'll we'll get into this more as the episode goes on. But there's like there's parallels between this and the McCamey Manor episode. I think um, just in terms of like it, it, it's a very similar dynamic, just with a different kind of like format of what it is. If anything, this is more malevolent because it's like McCamey Manor is very direct and in your face of like you're literally torturing people like it's very obvious that this is bad this is more subtle and psychological and there's some parallels here but it's uh, but it's the same thing with mckamey manor it's like there's no way in uh, in a million years i would ever agree to do this the premise of susume dimpa shonen was fairly straightforward it was a game show centered around season-long endurance tests not unlike certain american reality shows like survivor except a bit more extreme In one season, a contestant was dropped off in South Africa and required to hitchhike to Norway in order to win. In another season, contestants were stranded on an island and forced to build a raft in order to escape. This new season, however, was going to take a slightly different approach. Shortly after winning the contestant lottery, Hamatsu was blindfolded by the show's producers and whisked away to a small room in an undisclosed area. The tiny room had nothing in it but stacks of thousands of magazines. Hamatsu was even forced to remove all of his clothing and be completely nude. Eventually, Hamatsu was dubbed Nasubi, which is Japanese for eggplant. There's conflicting information about whether Hamatsu had already adopted this nickname prior to the show because of his eggplant-shaped head, or if the name was given to him by the show's producers because they had to cover up Hamatsu's genitals with an animated eggplant in order to air footage of the show on TV. And this is this is something, I, I looked around for this, and I saw no reference to this. I saw nobody talking about this, but, like, it's interesting that, like, so emojis were invented by the Japanese in the early to mid 2000s. So close to around the time that this show came out. And now all these years later, I don't know when the exactly this, I don't know when exactly people started associating the eggplant emoji with penis, but at some point that obviously became the universal emoji for meaning penis. But all the way back in the late 90s, they were they were putting an eggplant over his dick like on this show to like censor it and it's like did is that the origin of the eggplant emoji is that where that came from or is that just a total coincidence and i couldn't find any discussion of that at all i kind of hope it is i mean that wouldn't that be so crazy if it that that was the etymology of it of just like oh no it's not because it looks like a penis it's because there was this famous show in the 90s where they did that where they covered up somebody's penis with an eggplant and that's where the entire thing came from So the premise of the life of prizes, Nusubi could not leave his room or communicate with anybody from the outside world. He would be given no food, clothing, or anything other than water. The only way he could get any of these things would be by winning them in a sweepstakes being held in one of the thousands of magazines stacked in the room. 
Yes, the only way he would be able to eat food or even put clothes on his back is if he could win them through a magazine contest. And he would have to live in this room indefinitely. The game would only be over once he was able to win 1 million yen, or roughly $9,000 at the time, in prizes out of the magazines. And despite the fact that the producers told him that he was being filmed and that the footage would be reviewed and edited together later in order to air on television, they were actually airing everything in real time as it was happening without his knowledge. And also adding, like, literal goofy boyoyoing sound effects and zany on-screen text as he was going through one of the most physically and mentally trying times of his life. So he's in a room, he's now got like long hair and like a pseudo beard and he's like, oh, check it out, I won this, what the hell is that, like an egg beater or something? Oh, it's a vacuum cleaner. Yeah, this is a random clip from later on in the show. So it's like, this is like several months later, but I just wanted to show kind of like, like th this show has a very odd tone because with different music, different sound effects, different or no sound effects, and a, just a different approach to the way that it's edited. This could be like a very kind of like solemn, sort of like dramatic like view of a person not losing their mind because that's not supposed to be what happens but like just an exploration of somebody in isolation and seeing what like loneliness does to a person but instead it's like oh my god what's he doing today oh look at him he thought he was getting food but he was getting a vacuum like it's got a it's got a strange tone in the way that they've like added all these there's like quick fire voiceover of a guy and a girl and then like they're adding all these goofy graphics on the screen and then they're just cutting it up in a way that just makes him look ridiculous and like it's number one it's just a testament to like editing and how it just drastically can change uh some the tone of something um but also it's just like a testament to how little like respect that they had for this person in just making this like i don't know i don't know if there's any scenario in which this was like ethically sound to do but there certainly is a version of this that is like way more respectful of him, where it's actually just like an empathetic exploration of what he's going through. But it's just it's a complete just spectacle, like through and through. This is also like I think part of the reason that you, you're having such a negative reaction. I mean, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with anything you're saying, but but also there's the added component that Japanese editing style and sense of humor is just like fundamentally different than American. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I. Yeah, no, I I don't disagree with that at all. I I, I think that th there's probably some loss in translation there, but it still stands to reason that it's just like, look at this fucking freak. Now we're seeing a bunch of like the amount of money that he's gotten from various items. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I just want I just want to give a brief show of like one of the more ridiculous parts of the show. As the show first got started and Nasubi's isolation began, his first priority was to try and win some kind of clothing. His desire to not be constantly nude while appearing on camera momentarily overtaking his slowly growing hunger. The first contest he entered was to win an apron so he could cover himself up, but he didn't win. In fact, Nasubi never won a single stitch of wearable clothing in the entire time he was stuck in the room, but we'll get to that later. After a while, he started realizing that maybe putting all his energy into clothing wasn't wise, and then he needed to start winning some food or else he would starve. So he diverted all of his effort to applying for food contests. Over the course of the next few days, Nasubi entered hundreds of magazine contests to win food. 
but he had no clue that all of his exploits were being live streamed to the Japanese public, so he was unaware that the show's producers were going to start actively fucking with him during his attempts. Nasubi received multiple quote wrong numbers on the telephone he had set up in the room so that magazines could get in contact with him to let him know if he won anything. This was actually the production crew crank calling him in an attempt to get his hopes up over and over. There was even a ramen delivery guy at one point who quote accidentally knocked on his door and stood in the doorway purposely holding a bag of fragrant and delicious smelling food in front of Nasubi before telling him the delivery was actually for someone else and leaving. This was once again the production team's doing. Obviously, since Nasubi was trapped. Yeah, so he, so he, yeah, he goes, he goes to the door, and it's the guy delivering ramen, and he's like seventeen hundred yen, and he's just like, you know, if that was him, I would just be like, fuck yeah, seventeen hundred yen, and then he's like trying to pay for it, and then the guy's like, oh wait, this is the wrong place, and he just leaves. <laughs> That's fucking cruel, man. Yeah. That's fucked up. That's so cruel. Yeah, for sure. Finally, after several days, Nasubi won his first contest, and it was for twelve pots of fiber jelly which is a gelatinous dessert. He immediately ate all seven pots when they delivered. My first win. Just like a gold medalist, Kyoko something. Uh, this is the happiest moment of my life. I can feel this double against you. <laughs> what did he win? 12 pots of fiber jelly by Kikikoman. Let's eat. Mm. Yeah, so this so this is also like an introduction to several things. So first of all, like he's completely naked and you can't see it at home, but like this is the first win he's gotten, and he's already emaciated. This is he's already just noticeably thinner and unhealthy looking because he just hasn't eaten in like five or six days. And the other thing is, like I said before, like this dude is unflappable. No matter how long this thing goes on, no matter how kind of clearly cruel it is to him, every time he wins something, regardless of what it is, even if it's completely useless to him, he like does this celebration dance and then he does like a thankfulness ceremony where he thanks, you know, the production team as well as the spirits for like delivering it to him. And he does this dance every single time. He's just got this very particular personality where he's like, like, I don't even know how to describe it. Terminally optimistic. Yeah, that is not me. I'm a pretty I'm a pretty upbeat guy nine times out of ten, but that is not me. After four days of not eating, I'd be like, fuck it. I want pants. Yeah, even if even if I continued doing it, I would just be I would I would I would just be in such a bad mood. I would just be like, I would just get the I would, I mean my version of this would not be entertaining at all to anybody. Because it would just be me silently just like white knuckling it through this. I mean, frankly, that's kind of what this podcast is like. It's just both of it's just both of us locked in a room, screaming at each other for years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the The version of this with just me would be not entertaining, entertaining at all. The version of it where it's the two of us that get locked in a room and we can only eat on magazine subscriptions. It would just be the Russian sleep experiment. <laughs> I don't know which one of it, it it would be, but one of us would devour the other. Please. We both know which one of us is going to die. <laughs> His name rhymes with Shmavish makes. Like, 
come on. Um, unless I unless I know that you're going to do that, like because you could just overpower me. You know what I mean? Like physically you could overpower me, but I'm I'm probably more conniving than you are. I think you probably have a better view of humanity than I do. So I probably if I like Loki'd your ass and like stabbed you in the ear canal with a, like a little knife guide and like paralyzed you or something. I don't know why ear canal equates to paralysis in my brain for some reason, but I mean, that's, that's the way a fucking psychopath thinks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, you're the uh, you're if we're if we're trapped in the movie Predators, 2010's Predators, you're Royce and I'm Topher Grace. You know, you are coming off an Oscar win for the piano and you're going to beef up and be an action hero taking on some Predators as Adrian Brody. And I am trying to salvage a career after Spider-Man 3. And I'm like, hey, man. I'm just gonna make some Phantom Menace edits and be a serial killer in this movie. Yeah, we're just we're we're two kind of interesting looking white dudes with our career trajectories just like overlapping in a very strange time. Yeah, which actually isn't that it's not that different from the actual podcast. <laughs> yeah, but and but yeah, you're right. Like it would be it would be like which one would happen first? Would you would you double cross me in some way and get to me first, or would I just pick you up and eat you like a shrimp? Just like, and then just like, be like, I also like to eat the tails and then just. <laughs> you know, the Goya painting where he, like, you know, he's like eating the, the uh, is, it, is it the Titan or whatever? What is he eating that child's head? Neptune eating his son's head or whatever. It would just be that. Just taking a bite out of you like an apple, like a handful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is ironic because I'm pretty sure you can grow that beard from that painting in like five minutes. Just, just, oh, Dave Baker's. You can eat him like a hand fruit. You know, you you always joke and call me things like, you know, Davy Baby and Davy Bakes and stuff like that. And there's like, I can see you slowly just like literally seeing me as a child. And so initially your instinct is to like take care of me. But then I like start morphing in your mind into like a Cupid doll. And I my features like round out and I look more and more delicious to you. <laughs> so we win a bunch of salt in some fucking mail away contest. And you're trying to salt me like Kramer from that episode of. Yeah, it's like it's like a it's like a body horror where you morph from like a child that I want to protect into like a child that I want to eat. <laughs> a delicious candy child. Yeah. Shortly after he won a 12 pound bag of rice, which probably felt like a huge win after going several days without food. Hi. Hi. Special delivery. He's opening the door. Oh he's got a big pack package and he's like, oh, what's this? It's rice. He's running around doing a little celebration dance, carrying the rice. This is so funny. <laughs> he's holding the rice over his crotch into the camera and uh, he's very excited about it. Very excited about it. <laughs> oh, I don't have a pot. Oh, no. Yeah. So the thing about this is like, and like I said before, like the whole thing that's kind of the, traje the trajectory of this is basically going to be like gaining critical mass of like entering so many costumes that it's just or costumes entering so many contests that it's just a numbers game. And inevitably he's going to start to accrue things. But in the beginning, like I like. If I was doing this, like in my mind, I'm like, it's so it would be. And, and you know, obviously, I'm not necessarily right about this because as we'll see, like he starts to win more and more of them. But like in the beginning, I would be thinking like it's like so statistically unlikely that I'm going to win a contest. And after like four or five days of just entering these contests and winning nothing 
And then for the first final time that I win to be like winning these little like uh, jelly snacks, like the equivalent of kind of like little like yogurt cups, I would be like, fuck this. Yeah, you, you put in all that work and you just get a fucking little like Reese's Pieces. I'm out. I'm out. And he go he put he pushes on. He keeps going. It's a it's a testament to the power of the human spirit, you know. However, he quickly realized that he had no way of actually cooking the rice. He had no pot, bowl, or any kind of a container to put the rice in that could be directly placed on the hot plate he had in his room without burning the whole building down. Eventually, he realized he could cook the rice by putting it in the empty pots of fiber jelly and placing them near the hot plate instead of on it. In the first month on the show, Nasubi applied for almost 6,000 magazine contests. And in addition to the fiber jelly and rice, he also won soap, canned spaghetti, and a thousand yen. And though the spaghetti felt like a nice change of pace after eating watery, half-cooked rice for a few weeks, he quickly realized he didn't have a can opener for the pasta sauce, so he ended up resorting to eating watery, half-cooked, sauceless spaghetti noodles. Honestly, this is like, this, you, this is where you would thrive. This, this tasteless food, like you would, you would be fine. <laughs> that is, that is, that is, uh, I mean, you know, you're not wrong. <laughs> you would just be like white rice, kind of cooked spaghetti noodles. This works for me. <laughs> what, where, where am I home? <laughs> yeah. During the pandemic, I think I ate white rice like every other day. Just like, but I, but I wouldn't eat it. What I would do is I would cook the rice and then I got Thai chili sauce and I would fucking drown that shit in chili sauce. Really, rice is just an excuse to eat interesting sauces. Now that I'm thinking about it, this is just how you live. Yeah, it's not that different, frankly. This is, this is just, this is just your life. But you're not being televised. Yeah, 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 yeah. And instead of a, and instead of applying for an average of twelve hundred contests a day, you're just like drawing. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not that far off, frankly. Yeah, I mean uh, you know there's a lot more Netflix running in the background or uh, podcasts or whatever. But yeah, I mean you know I don't really leave the house. I just work on comics or writing stuff all day, and then I try and move around. So like you know once a day I'll go out and go on a walk or you know do some push-ups or whatever. But frankly, like yeah. I kind of live in a prison. <laughs> and all those things you just described could be, as as we'll find out, like he, do, he eventually, I mean, this is back in the late 90s, but he does eventually win like some TVs and stuff like that to like have entertainment or whatever. Like, so you could, you could get those things eventually. Yeah. The question is, could I make it that far? Like the, I mean, the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm feeling like you would just, you would go into this and then it would be like three years later. And they'd be like, dear God, like you're still going. And you're like, how long has it been? And they're like, three years. And you're like, oh, oh, I thought it'd been like a week or something. I mean, that's kind of what it's like since the pandemic, especially since I started giving myself my own haircuts. You know, like I don't I literally like leave the house maybe like twice a week, three times a week. Yeah. And also and also you just you just your hair, you're just bald with a bunch of little patches here and there. <laughs> no, I've been I've been purposefully shaving my head into a receding hairline. I'm like I'm like, I've just got like the donut from the donut around the sides. You know, I don't, I don't have anything on top. I've purposefully given myself the old man. You've been simulating like male pattern baldness in real time. Yeah, yeah. I, ca- I like to call it the Picard chic look. I mean, it, you, you wear it well. I'm, I'll say that. <laughs> in the first few months of the show, Nasubi entered thousands more contests. At one point, he won a bicycle, which he rode around his tiny room a few times and then set it up on makeshift blocks so he could use it as a stationary bike. <sighs> Surto? 
Do you say I have a hangover? Yeah. yeah at one point, he wins some sake. Winning two days in a row. What's up? Oh, wow. It's huge. Huh? Folding bicycle? Wow. For real, look. Seriously? <laughs> I want a folding bicycle? What a guy Natsubi is. Ride this little bicycle around this tiny little room. Yeah, there's like a there's like a separate thing that just you know it's it's not something we would really it's not the focus of this episode because it just isn't the focus and also it just wouldn't come across in audio you kind of have to see it but there's a there's a whole secondary kind of fascinating element of this of just like watching somebody like given limited resources and like using just like instinctual human ingenuity to like figure out how to do things that when you watch this, it is kind of it's that's like a little secondary kind of interesting thing where he starts out where he gets this rice and then he's just like at first he's excited and then he's like, wait a minute, I don't I can't cook this. God damn it. This is useless. And then he pretty quickly figures out like, oh, like I have these little empty cups from these little jelly treats or whatever. So I can put them in there. And if I and I can turn this little hot plate on and I can just set them near that. And over time, it'll cook the rice and so it's like okay cool he figured this out and then he gets some sake like a little can of sake at one point and then he like he upgrades his rice cooking uh setup away from these gross little cardboard cups that are getting increasingly disgusting and dingy and you can't really wash them he upgrades it to the sake can where he's cooking the rice in the sake can um and he just over time he's like develops all these little systems for how he does all of this stuff just by accruing all these items and being like, okay, so I got this thing and I don't have any use for this for its actual intended purpose, but I can repurpose it for this thing. And he sort of builds this little like interior world of all these like, you know, it's almost kind of like dog tooth where he has like this internalized context for his new life within these walls where he has to figure out how to live all over again. And he's, he's repurposing items for other means and, yeah, it's just it's 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 kind of its own little secondary fascinating thing. And while winning a bike might seem impractical or unnecessary to Nasubi's goal of survival, remember that he wins the game once he wins one million yen in prizes. Everything he earns gets him close to his goal, and winning big, expensive prizes will get him there faster. Two months into the show, Nasubi finally won his first article of clothing used panties from a Japanese pop idol named Hitomi chan. However, upon receiving them, they didn't fit. Man, that's so brutal. Yeah. Yeah, he's just like, he got, he, he just like the only, which is kind of funny because it's like, really, you like, there were, there were some contests where they were like giving away panties that some pop idol wore to like creepy dudes who want that kind of thing. And he won that before he won just any article of clothing, like any contest that were like, we're giving away shirts with our logo on them or whatever. Before winning anything like that, he won that. And he got him, and he, they didn't even remotely fit him. Because that eggplant, baby. Over the next few months, in addition to a slowly trickling supply of food, Nasubi also won a PlayStation game and controller, but no PlayStation. And then eventually he won a TV, but no antenna. So he had a TV that was completely useless because he couldn't play anything on it, and a game and controller that he could play on it if he actually had the game console that worked for it. 
Just like some weird amalgamation of the Time Enough at Last episode of Twilight Zone, that one episode of Black Mirror where Daniel Kaluuya is stuck living inside of a tiny room being forced to buy random products from the corporation that owns everything, and a stress nightmare that an eight-year-old boy would have. But then, shortly afterward, he also won a toothbrush and toothpaste. Yeah, but you didn't think about that. Dude hasn't brushed his teeth in months. Also, there's a part in this, it's like, cause you don't think about these things. Cause like, you know, it's just not something you think about. When you watch a movie, you're not thinking about like, hmm, when when does John McClane take a shit? And you kind of, and you're kind of viewing this in the same way where your brain is not thinking in those terms. But then there's several points that kind of remind you. And there's a point in this when he wins toilet paper and he's like, finally, toilet paper. And you're just like, he hasn't had toilet paper this whole time. What the fuck was he doing? But then Nasubi hit another rough patch. Seemingly perfectly coinciding with his acquisition of a toothbrush, he was running out of the rice he had won early on and was on a dry streak, unable to win any more food. What he did win, though, was some dog food. That's fucked up. Made this homie eat dog food? Yesterday's diary is true that I wrote anything I can eat, but things don't always get uh, things don't always go expected in the prize life contest, huh? It seems I have done it. You could say I've done it. It's dog food. He's so he's so happy. He just thinks this is so stupid. He's laughing, but also like. However, it's bad. Oh no, he's so unhappy. He wins again. Please give me a break. It's another thing of dog food. Oh my god, are you trying to turn me into a dog? I am not a dog. It's just unflappable. Like he he like he approaches everything like that one type of guy who's just like, you know, you're hanging out with him and he's just like everything is he frames everything as like a joke regardless of what's happening where he's just like you know like oh like like uh i don't even i don't even know how this is like that that guy who just everything he turns into like a little bit like the guy who turns everything into a bit to the point where and no not like i know you're getting a little smirk on your face that's not what i mean i mean like in an, in an annoying way where it's like can you just be serious for like a second and just be a human being it's like everything doesn't have to be like a little joke and that's that's this guy even when he's like faced with the reality of having to eat dog food he's one of those guys that just turns everything into a little joke which in this context is admirable like I, i'm not annoyed by it i'm just like man like you you are you you just you could you could take on the world you could take on anything uh but also the first thing of dog food that he gets is like is wet dog food and the second thing is dry dog food now, if I was forced to, I think I would be fine with eating dry dog food. Not that it would taste good, but it's like it's like fairly neutral. It's like it doesn't smell awful. I've never tasted dry dog food, but if it smells, if it tastes like it smells, it would be doable. But wet dog food is fucking disgusting. Like what we, we have this dog food that we feed our dog because he's like a little older and it's just like better for him. 
And like, I almost puke every time I feed it to him because it smells so bad. I like that. I could not do like that would be another that would be another tap out moment for me. Yeah, at some point, Nasubi just started eating dog food, which she was stockpiling to eat anytime he ran out of real food and was unable to win more. And at this point in the show, he went through a real dry spell. He ended up surviving mainly off of dog food for about three months before he finally won another bag of rice. Here's a, here's his reaction to rice after three months of dog food. And honestly, I think I think this would be your reaction without three months of dog food. Like you, just if you got rice right now, this is how you'd react. No way. No way. Is this for real? Sitting in stunned silence. Finally. God has gifted me the power to live. It's rice. It's rice. Oh, look, it's 10 kilograms. 10 kilograms. 10 kilograms. <laughs> He's like doing a dance now. <laughs> this guy's got just the best vibe, man. He's got the best vibe. <laughs> now he's just like sitting, crying, hugging the rice. Natsubi is so emotionally moved by winning the rice, he cries. Oh my god. I think you are, like, that's the thing is like, you're right that he has the best vibe, which I think just makes it even sadder because like, this is the context in which we are learning about this guy. Like this, like, it's just like this, this guy in particular does not d deserve this more, more than anybody else. Like, it's like you, this is the way you meet him. And you're just like, this guy, he's like the most positive, like delightful person on the planet. No, but he really is. Like he just, he's doing these little kind of like dance, like ceremonial little, like uh, he's putting one hand up in the air, moving it around and kind of doing a little jig with the, with the rice. Like this guy is so cute. I want to be friends with this dude. I want to hang out with this dude. I want to eat rice with this dude. Yeah. And just like, just you, you, you meet, like you meet the most, like you meet the most charming, positive guy that you've ever met, but it's in the context of like, oh, you're just like being publicly, publicly humiliated on national television and subjected to like mental torture. And, and, and yet you're still just like taking it on with just an infinite level of, of optimism. I can't even get over it, man. It doesn't even communicate either. Like us just being like, he's so positive. It's not the same as seeing like, the joy on this dude's face as he's like prancing around in this like objective prison cell. Yeah, because it's not even, yeah, because like saying positive or optimistic, it's like, that's a very one dimensional way of saying it. Cause it's not just that. Cause like, number one, you can be in, you can be incredibly optimistic and positive and still just be like annoying. And also like you can be outwardly optimistic and positive, but it's kind of fake. But like this guy's entire being is just like l pure love. He, ex he exudes it. He also won a stuffed seal, which he named Benasu, and it legitimately became his friend in a castaway Wilson style thing where he would talk to it every day, walk it around on a leash and just generally use it to keep himself from having a complete mental breakdown. Yeah, let's just let's let's look at him when he first gets Benasu. 
his stuffed seal. Hmm, package. A package with newspapers in it? Hmm. <laughs> oh, it's a seal chan. I sent for an entry naming of seal. And I, they sent me a stuffed seal. Whoa, no, go away, go away, phone call. After a diff difficult parting with Naruto, a friendship is born. Looking through the package. Small gift, what could it be? His partner, Venusan, uh, gently watches over him as he works. Special delivery. An egg shape. Well, anyway, I, there's there's a, there's a part where he is walking it on a leash. That's fine. We we get it. We understand. But yeah, like, but yeah, like, in a, in a in a cynical way, like just just kind of looking at what we were just saying about him from a different perspective, like also from a pure enter entertainment standpoint, like just they couldn't have chosen a better person to do this because I'll, I'll once again say like if this was me it would not be entertaining to watch i would open up the package of the seal and just i wouldn't even say anything i would just like set it aside and then just go back to entering contests like my version of this is just like a silent stoic man like writing like it, it would just it would just not be entertaining <laughs> that's what it that's what you think it would be but in reality we would both be in this together and it would be me badgering you about shit trying to talk to you about dumb shit prancing around the room naked holding this seal doing bits with it and you being like no dave we must get more rice we have to logically spend 14 hours a day applying for these rice competitions we need to get a Xeroxer so we can Xerox the the amount of uh, competitions that have food and apply multiple times. And you'd be you'd be applying all this logic, and I'd be in the corner just being like, "That's absolutely what it, what would happen." And and it would it would go that way until I'm like, "Oh nope, eat you like a shrimp." <laughs> yep, pretty much. And I think I, it's funny because I I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, when Andrew and I worked together at an office, I think he was kind of surprised at how serious I was for the first couple days because <laughs> because I would just go in and like do the work and like not that I wouldn't joke around, but I was very like on my best behavior, trying to not show my true colors as a fucking idiot. And uh, over my time there, I got more and more comfortable. So I, I would be more and more of an idiot. And um <laughs> And in this context, that's what this would be. I would be in there with you. And the first like day, I would apply for like 20,000 fucking competitions. And then the next day, it would be like 12. And then the next day, it would be like three. And then th after like day five, I'm like, look, we're going to die. So fuck it. Like, I'd be like trying to do Jackie Chan backflips off the wall and like break an arm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, you would you would just completely ruin our entire chances because you would just like injure yourself in some stupid way. Yeah, yeah. I would get the show. <laughs> I would get us kicked off the show. A hundred percent. Yeah, this is this is all completely accurate to how this would go for sure. At this point, he's been stuck in this room for six months. He's entered 38,000 contests and he's won roughly 500,000 yen in prizes, about halfway to his goal of 1 million. However, around the six month mark, 
once again completely unbeknownst to Nasubi, who thinks this entire experience is being recorded to be cut into a TV show at a later date. The show that's actually being aired to the Japanese public has become incredibly popular. In fact, it's become one of the most viewed Japanese TV shows, nay, TV shows in history. To put it into perspective, at the height of its ratings, A Life of Prizes had just over 17 million viewers. The series finale of The Big Bang Theory had about 20 million viewers. The most viewed episode of TV of all time, the series finale of MASH in 1983, had 50 million viewers. And this weird show about a naked Japanese dude going insane in a tiny room, eating dog food, pulled a third of those numbers just in Japan alone. But with this popularity came the trappings of fandom, and people somehow figured out the location of Nasubi's little room. Crowds of people showing up outside in hopes of catching a glimpse of the new star when he opened the door to another delivery person. Nasubi was achieving what he set out to do, to get famous, and he had no idea. But the producers couldn't allow the fans to compromise their massively successful formula, so one night, out of the blue, the crew rushed in, woke Nasubi, blindfolded him, and moved him to a new location, another tiny room filled with magazines and all of his previous belongings, just in another secret location. So so, like, this shit is just, like, straight out of a horror movie. Yeah, this is terrifying. What the fuck? It's like a, four, like it's like a POV shot camera with a flashlight, and they're shining the flashlight on Nasubi's face, and he's waking up, and he's like, what? He's very confused. Mm-hmm. Long time no see. It's been a while. At the time, Nasubi thought that it was over. A million years. No. <gasps> Blindfold. Why are you giving this to me? Give him headphones playing loud music. Wrap him in a blanket. The producers take Nasubi outside wrapped in a blanket. <laughs> they gave him shoes to wear so he doesn't mess up his feet while they're walking him somewhere. Ah, outside, fresh air. It's been five months since I've breathed fresh air. It's nice. Then he's in a car. Yay, we're moving. We're going somewhere. Road trip. I haven't been in a car after five months. However, Two hours have passed. You can't phase this guy. We know where we're going. Five hours have passed. We're going really far. Here, Nasubi says something unexpected. That reminds me, the African continent. Are we going to the African continent? This is bad for a single person. It's a bad situation for a person to hike across Africa alone, you know. Yeah, well, anyway, I mean, it's just it's just him getting moved to this. Basically, but it's that's just him being scared and being like, wait, am I what's going on? Yeah, because he has, he has no idea. Like, he's just like, because because once again, he doesn't know that the show is on. So he doesn't he doesn't know why they're doing this. So he. In his mind, he does like they could be like switching up and historically this show has been about like basically stranding you in places and like forcing you to find your way home. So he's like thinking that they're going to take him somewhere and just like leave him. The producers, however, still not wanting Nasubi to know that the show is actually being aired, 
told him they were simply moving him to a new location because a change of scenery might bring him renewed luck in his contest entries. Also along with the location switch, the producers of the show decided to switch up the format. Previously, they had been taking the footage being recorded in Asubi's room, cutting out the best parts, and airing them the same day in a compilation of best-of clips of the day. For this new location, in addition to that, they'd also offer a genuine 24-hour livestream webcast on their website, one of the first of its kind. Long before the days of Twitch, Chip Chan, any of the immersive livestream experiments that have been done over the years, or even OnlyFans, Nasubi's naked ass was being streamed in real time to everyone's computer screens across the country. The funny and just baffling thing about this being that, because they couldn't edit in the animated eggplant over Nasubi's dick for the livestream version, they actually had to have someone moving a little blue dot around on the screen to cover him up in real time using a joystick as the stream happened. <laughs> that is the weirdest video game. Yeah, well, I mean, it, and it really is. Like, like, look at this. This it really is a video game. So this is this is the dick, the dick follower. Oh my God! All the staff, they're wearing, they're wearing uh, t-shirts that have eggplants on them. Wow. All these computer monitors and people just like. Just really doing it, man. They're really doing Which it. Which is crazy, because like, okay, so they're doing a live stream, right? And there's a whole office of people and like all these computers that are running this live stream. There's like there's like 15 people in here. And then there's there's a there's one dude specifically dedicated to like he's on a big console, this big piece of equipment with a little like joystick, and he is on this big console moving a little blue dot around to make sure that his his penis never shows up. Which, first of all, he had to have slipped up at least once or twice, right? Like, oh yeah, you know that that eggplant was getting shown for sure. But number two, it's just kind of it's just insane because number one, number one, like obviously, like now we have stuff, we have like motion tracking where like you could just have something just automatically cover up his dick like by itself, like like facial tracking. You could you could apply that to a dick probably. Yeah, but where's the fun in that though? <laughs> and like you know, people run live streams like this like by themselves at their computer. And there's a whole just like team of people just running this live stream of this dude sitting in a room naked. It's astonishing. Nasubi won a handful of things such as a watermelon and a VHS player for the TV, but still no VHS tapes. So he still couldn't use any of it. However, around this time he fell into another dry spell where he completely ran out of food and wasn't winning anymore. And he didn't have any dog food left to fall back on. For a solid week, he was wasting away not a single thing to eat in the room. So instead of doing something to help him, the producers just snatched him up in the middle of the night again and switched him to another location. Not for any practical reason this time, but simply because they had told him last time that the location change was for good luck. And they thought maybe doing another location change might actually raise his spirits and through the law of attraction actually bring him good luck. Um, and they just, we don't need to watch this video, but it's just the same thing. Like they just, they wake him up in the middle of the night in that creepy way and they just move him to an identical room with all the same shit in it. Doesn't that fuck his mailing address though? Yeah, that's what I thought too. It's like, like all of the, cause like, like I was kind of talking about before, like what ends up happening with this whole system is that he's just like building up wins to the point where like, it's a pure numbers game. He's averaging 1,200 contest entries a day. Inevitably, he starts to win stuff. And then it takes a long time for all this stuff to ship because it's the 90s. It's not 
It's not the it's not the Amazon Prime days, like I said before. So at first, it's like really slow, a really slow trickle. But over time, he gets to a point where he's just receiving like multiple packages a week because he's just won so many contests over time that they're just like they're they're accruing and building up and building up. Um, but yeah, I wonder that same thing. Like what happens like when he goes to a different location, a bunch of stuff that he won is supposed to go to this other place. So do they just like forward it there or like does somebody intercept it? Like, I, I don't know. I guess I guess the crew could just like intercept it from the from the location and, and deliver it there. Well, it actually seemed to work. And Nasubi immediately started winning things again in the third room, including some food and a fucking PlayStation. Hey, ba -da -da -da, ba -ba -ba -ba. He's got a PlayStation, yeah, uh, uh. That's right, man, fuck yeah, fuck yeah, Nasubi. After all this time, like the movie Signs where all the random shit all the family members do become significant at the end, Nasubi was able to connect his VCR to his TV, his PlayStation to his VCR, and use the game and controller he won months ago to actually use all of this bullshit to provide himself with some stimulating entertainment that wasn't talking to a stuffed seal for the first time in eight months. And it was a train simulator game. Oh, yeah, dude. He's got a top knot now. Awesome. He's so excited that he won a PlayStation. <laughs> After eight months. He's got the TV, he's got the VCR, he's got the games. But he doesn't, he doesn't have Tekken. He doesn't have Crash Bandicoot. He's got a train simulator game. Called Densha de Go. Forget about time, myself, everything I've played as a result. Something. <laughs> he played all night. It's he was totally absorbed, playing nothing but the game. Once again, the sun has set. I'm, I'm a complete prisoner to the game. As a result, he played all night. Entering the third straight day of playing. I'm, I'm a complete slave to the game. Yeah, he fu he fucking OD'd on this shit. The thing that's scary about that is like, if you're if you're so engrossed in the game, you're not going to be applying for more contests. Well, that's exactly what happened. That, that like, basically, he got this thing, and it's he, he's like so stimulation deprived that he just like plays it for four straight days. And it kind of reminds me of I, I I've heard a lot of stories from from Jehovah's Witness kids who will say like as a kid I wasn't allowed to do anything like I couldn't watch movies I couldn't go to the movies I couldn't have video games and then whenever they get old enough to leave the house they just like they go buck wild on fucking media they just become like intense like movie watchers and they just like they, like more than any person who was like allowed to have those things as a kid. And he just plays it for like four straight days. And as a result, he doesn't do anything for four straight days. So at the end of the four, at the end of the four days, he, he bans himself from playing it. Like, he's just like, I, I can't play this anymore. Never again. So he going, he went eight months to collect all these fucking things like Dragon Balls to get hit, to get his wish of like entertainment. 
and he did it. He played it for four straight days and he was just like, nope, can't do it. I have to give it up. Nasubi continued on in the room and had more luck with wins, netting several high price items over the next several months. An expensive tent, a pair of luxury car tires, and a 10,000 yen voucher. Finally, he won an additional small bag of rice, and after 335 days, just a few weeks shy of a year, living in these tiny rooms, surviving off of nothing but these contest prizes, he reached his 1 million yen goal. Fuck yeah! And this is, this is one of the weirdest moments in this entire show. It's, uh, it's pure blackness in his little room. Somebody put off a firecracker next to his head. Another one. The whole crew is standing in there. He's crouched in the fetal position. He's like, what is going on? What is happening? The goal of celebration with confetti. But Natsubi, what's going on? He doesn't get it at all. They're just like standing over him, wordlessly shooting party poppers in his face. Bro, say something to him. Like they're not saying anything. They're just standing over him and silently shooting party poppers into his face. Nobody's saying a word. I understand. It's a party popper, okay? What are they used for? I guess when you want to congratulate someone? That's correct. Then perhaps... I made a million yen? <laughs> and then they just fired off a thing in his face again. Without saying anything. For real? Really, truly honest, for real? Yep. I did it! Congratulations. Like, th this is just, like, some David Lynch shit. It really is, dude. Like, they're just, there's just, like, it, it's really hard to put it, it's, it's really hard to visualize it if you can't see this, but he's in this tiny room, and there's, like, a crew of people. So, there's, like, there's, like, five people crowded around him in this tiny room, and it's, like, a sound person, and just a couple of random crew members, and then this main producer guy, or whatever, whatever, I don't know, I don't know if these people are, are. But they're just crowded around him and they're just not saying anything. They just like shove a flashlight in his face and then they just like start shooting party poppers in his face silently. And every time he says something, they just shoot another party popper in his face. And he's just like staring up at them, just like confused and terrified. And they won't tell they won't talk to him. It's just it's just like a, it's a scene from a David Lynch movie, like full on. So that's it. Nasubi won the game, right? He earned the million yen in prizes. The show is over, and he could finally leave. Well, not exactly. Remember when I said that the show had some of the best ratings in television history? Well, why would the producers just up and end the season when they were on a hot streak? A life of prizes starring Nasubi couldn't end now when they were on top of the world. It needed to keep going. They weren't done with Nasubi yet.
two. Come in here, dear boy. Have a cigar. You're gonna go far, but in Japanese. So the first thing that Nasubi realized upon re-entering society was that nearly a year of perpetual nudity made him hate wearing clothes. He thought they were itchy, and it just didn't feel right to wear them anymore. The second thing he noticed was that he was a fucking star. After coming out of the room, he was immediately confronted with the fact that A Life of Prizes wasn't some show that would be aired sometime in the future. It was a currently running and massively popular show, and he was a national celebrity. Can, can you, like, that is a very particular style of, of fame. That's just like, it, it, it's a whole different thing than just like getting famous or whatever. Like, can you imagine that? Like, can you imagine just like emerging from a room and you were just like, are you were just a celebrity? It's really strange, too, because like he pops up in all these weird places. Like, I didn't know who he was prior to you being like, let's do this episode. But I've seen him drawn into comics and manga like a lot. Like, I don't remember a specific one off the top of my hand, off the top of my head. But like they people like draw him into books. Like I have like a novel. Like when I was in Japan, I went to Circle K or yeah, literally Circle K. And the novelty of just like being able to buy manga there. Like I just bought like a wrestling manga and like, a, you know, fucking uh, manga about the history of Japan and like all these just I just bought well, there was a bondage manga that the guy who checked me out and gave me like a raised eyebrow at. And I was just like, mm, I don't know. I don't know. Just a ignorant Westerner. I don't know what this is. Just buying it. Even though I totally know what it is. It's fucking porn. Whatever. You selling it here, bro. What are, you, what are you judging me for? So like, but in, in and I know in at least one of those books, he's drawn into the pages. You know, there's like a character that's like loosely based on him. Um, And it's so crazy that like you, because it's not like a, it's not like a show where you get to see the arc. So you get slightly acclimated. It's like if you went into a room and then just came out as Kelly Clarkson. Yeah. Yeah. Then that's the thing is like, it's not like, it's not like, oh, because, you know, the whole like overnight sensation thing. You know, in reality, that's that. like, no, there's no such thing as an overnight sensation, like regardless of what the level of work it was or how hard it was or whether, you you know, you were born into generational wealth or whatever the circumstances are, no matter what, it's always a slow build that nobody sees. And then you're famous and people think that you got famous out of nowhere. But in reality, there was like 10 years where you were either like working really hard to get there or you just were living your life as like a rich child of some billionaire or whatever. Um, but this, but he literally was just a, was just, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but he was literally just nobody. And then he went into isolation away from society for a year and came out and was just like, you know, it's hard to put it in perspective because we, we don't live in the culture. So we're just, we have no cultural context for this. Uh, but he came out like a household name. Like it would be like, like you I get, yeah, Kelly Clarkson is a, is like a great example of it, of just like he walked out and was just that out of nowhere. Yeah, surreal, man, surreal. But he didn't have much time to bask in his newfound fame because the producers of the show told him that they wanted to take him to Korea as a celebration for completing the challenge. <laughs> Prize contest life contestants, take off the mask. <laughs> Just as I thought. <laughs> He's on a roller coaster now. UNT. The amusement park. <laughs> 
Vegas and a bunch of roller coaster rides. Shopping. However, these are all preparations for a new film project. Here's the producer. Where are we staying? Kimchi. Departure car. After a five hour ride, we finally arrive. Well, please take off the eye mask. Back in the room, baby. Back in the room. This is a nightmare. You know, the 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 phases of this. So he he was on this he was on this show and he did this whole thing and the the purpose the, or the goal of it was like you do this until you get a million yen and then that and it's over. And you know, obviously he did it. He went through the whole thing. Uh but I but I think that you would be hard pressed to find somebody who, when you went through that, even if you did it willfully, that after it was done, after you achieved the catharsis of completing it, that if the person was like, yeah, but it's doing really well, so you want to do it again? I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody who would agree to that, like regardless. So what they end up doing to solve for that is they trick him into going to Korea to go and under the guise of like, we're going to go celebrate by going to this theme park. And then they just basically do what they did on the other seasons where they, they stranded him in a different country. And they're just like, surprise motherfucker. You're in a room again, but you can't be like, Oh no, I'm done because you're in Korea now. And you, and you have no way of getting home. I don't really understand this though. Like he didn't, did he sign off on that? I mean, well, so I mean, well, like, is that kayfabe? Like, is he like, did he agree to it? But then the, in the show, he's like, oh, no, I'm stranded in Korea. Or did he, did they were like, look, man, we want you to do this again. No, I don't want to do it. Come on. We'll just give you a bunch of money to live in the room for another couple months. So it's I think it's a hybrid between the two. I don't think I don't think that there was ever, ever any active kayfabe where he like pretended like that he was doing it under duress. Like they genuinely tricked him into going to Korea to go to the to go to the theme park and then sprung it on him that they wanted him to do another room challenge. Um, but they did. And this kind of goes into wrapping up sort of the theme or the thesis of this. Uh, so I don't want to get too into it now. But they when they do that, they do say, like, you can you don't have to do this. Like if you want to go home, you can go home. You don't have to do this. And he agrees to do it. Um, so he's not, they, they they did trick him into going here. I think to put him in the psychological state of mind of like, oh, I'm in Korea. I'm a, I can't just walk out of this and, and like take a bus home. I might as well do it. I've already gone this far. I think they, they psychologically primed him to agree to do it, but they didn't force him to do it. They did ask him and they did say like, if you don't want to do this, like we'll we'll get on the plane now and go back. And he agrees to do it. But this kind of ties into my the the, the the thesis of this, which is like even in that situation, there is a little bit of a psychological duress going on because of the power imbalance and the way that they're sort of dangling fame in front of them. Um, but, you know, we'll get to that. We'll get to that at the end and we can kind of talk about that more. Nasubi is blindfolded, whisked away, and put into another tiny room full of magazines. Only this time, he has a Korean to Japanese translation book and all the magazines are in Korean. 
He now has to win enough prizes from these Korean magazines to earn the monetary equivalent to an economy-class plane ticket back to Japan. He's told that as long as the value of the prizes he wins equals the cheapest single ticket back to Japan, he'll be able to go home. Otherwise, he's stuck in Korea. He also had to strip naked again, just when he got used to wearing clothes. However, despite the fact that he now had to also painstakingly translate every sweepstakes ad from Korean to Japanese using a translation book, he was such a pro at doing this by then that he fucking S-ranked the whole challenge and reached his goal of 50,000 yen in two months. But the producers didn't like this. They thought he reached the goal too quickly and changed the goal. Now, in order to be able to go home, he had to earn another 9,000 yen in prizes in order to be able to upgrade his economy class plane ticket to business class. Just making shit up as they went along. Nasubi one-shotted this challenge as well in just a few short weeks with one single contest. He won two bags of super expensive ultra rare tea leaves in one sweepstakes that easily surpassed the 9,000 yen value, which the producers once again didn't like, so they changed the goal again. They set a new goal that he'd have to upgrade his ticket to first class. But Nasubi met that goal in a few short weeks as well, and since there was nothing more Nasubi could upgrade his ticket to, unless the producers wanted to force him to win a pilot's license in a contest and fly himself home, which I honestly wouldn't even put past them, they had to finally concede that Nasubi had won and could return to Japan. But there was one final challenge in store for Nasubi. Upon returning to Japan, Nasubi is once again blindfolded and led into a tiny room with nothing but a table. After having spent 15 months by himself in these tiny rooms, barely having any contact with the outside world or another human being, having entered 75,000 magazine contests, he defaulted to what he knew. Settling in for what was likely to be another few months of some new challenge, he dropped trow and got naked. Then this happened. <laughs> He's like, yep, it's just like, a, it's a Pavlovian response at this point. He's like, yep, trying to get naked. Oh my God. Oh my God. He's inside of a box that's a fake room on a game show or on like a talk show and the, the box opens up and he's now no longer naked or he's no longer clothed in front of a giant audience of people. Yeah, he's just in a huge studio. And he's just like, what the fuck is going on? He's so shocked. <laughs> it's basically a celebration party for him, right? Yeah, they're just like, yeah, it's just congratulations. You completed the challenge. But he's just like, he's just, he's so confused and, sh and in shock. Congratulations, Nasubi. Congratulations, congratulations. And he's just sitting there in stunned, shocked silence, trying to process what's going on right now.
he's looking back and forth between this giant camera behind him and uh, a giant TV screen behind him in the, the studio audience. Congratulations, Nasubi. Can I come in? Is it okay to come? Excuse me, excuse me, please. Ah, sorry, excuse us, excuse us. Hello, Nasubi. The, the house collapsed. Yeah. Your house here, Nasubi, the room collapsed. Then all these people. Why are they laughing? Do you know where this is right now? Do you know do you know where you are? This is right now? Huh? What is this? Mitsubi, you have finally reached the prize of life goal. Congratulations. Well done. Congratulations. Congratulations. All these guests have come to this arena to see Nasubi reach the goal. This is the reason they're all here, as guests. This is so... Huh? So, that's why you all are here? Nasubi, you reached the goal. Oh, is that true? It's over. Congratulations. Thousand people in the arena to, are here to watch you reach the goal. And he's like, thank fucking God. No more fucking contests. Like that that dude isn't as this, that dude isn't so much as scratching a lottery ticket ever again. Get that shit away from me. Somebody somebody somebody's like, I bet you can't guess how many fucking how much money I just got. And he's like, Nope. No no guessing, no no challenges that involve games of chance. Nasubi, let's rock, paper, scissors for it. Nope. He just he just goes catatonic. Yeah, the thing the thing the thing that uh the thing that fascinates me about this is that like you know you hear these stories about like oh you know these you know, these these people that like lived in isolation for all this time like the 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 real life Mowgli story where of the like the boy that lived in in like out in the wild and was like raised by wolves or whatever and then he comes into captivity and he has like or he comes he comes into into society and he has no idea of the context of like how society works and he's like learning everything in 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 real time or whatever and there are some stories of that of people who just like lived in isolation the guy the the Japanese soldier who like didn't realize that the war was over and he was like just holed up in the woods thinking that he was like hiding out from American forces like for a like decade after the after the war ended and stuff and the thing that about this it's like so fascinating and kind of creepy is that it's like it's like those conditions like manufactured through capitalism where like they just spent tons of money on just recreating the conditions of somebody being cut off from society. There's something about that that's just like really creepy to me because he could just walk out like he's not actually isolated from society. He's in a little apartment. He could walk out anytime, but through the transformative power of like dangling fame in front of him, he was cut off from society for 15 months, like completely removed from culture. He had no idea what happened for a year. Yeah, it's really it's really sad. Yeah. And and it, it's like it reminds me of like the in a, in a in a weird way, it reminds me of the whole thing with Jared Leto, where like when the pandemic started 
And then like, well, it was like six weeks after the pandemic started. He like came back from his like weird desert, like uh, fucking mushroom trip or whatever it was. And he just like found out that we had been in a pandemic for six weeks. And like, it's once again, it's like he's not he wasn't actually isolated from society. He's just so rich that he can just go into the desert and just like isolate himself from the world for six weeks and come back and learn that we've been going through a, a global pandemic just just because of how rich he, he is. It's just it's just really it's just very fascinating. The nightmare was finally over for Nasubi. The life of prizes season of Susume Denpa Shonen ended for real. The show went on to air multiple more seasons of similar hybrid endurance challenge slash torture chambers until the show was canceled in 2002 after the Japanese government literally cracked down on allowing TV programming with this type of human cruelty in them. Like, say what you want about whether or not the show is consensual or not that bad, but the government literally made it illegal. The show briefly returned in 2009 with the same producers, but a different name and platform as a live stream internet show called Number 2 Nihon Webcast, but that was also quickly canceled. As for Nasubi, he quickly learned what thousands, maybe millions of people would learn over the next several decades. Reality show fame is fleeting. Being famous for being famous has an incredibly short shelf life, and people will chew you up and spit you out in the attention economy, where there's always 15 new, more exciting people to replace you in people's hearts and minds 15 minutes after they first discovered you. His journal of the time he spent in the tiny rooms was published under the name Nasubi's Prize Contest Life Diary and became a national bestseller in Japan. But he didn't become the next great comedian. He ended up scoring some minor acting roles on Japanese television over the next several years. Most notably, he appeared in Kamen Rider W as the character Watcherman, a blogger who rides a bicycle he won in a sweepstakes. Nothing to shake a stick at, but probably not worth the cost. You just blew my mind. Like, no shit, that's where I've fucking seen this guy. Like, I mean, I have seen him in manga as well, but like, you just blew my fucking mind. Yeah. Thought that would thought that would get you. I un I absolutely have seen him in, in W. A hundred percent. Holy shit. That's crazy. Yeah, and like he, you know, he he didn't really like end up becoming any kind of big star or whatever, but like he has a very unique, interesting look. He has a very unique, interesting personality. I see him being a really cool character actor in things. Like he's not just like some dude who just like wanted to be famous and he actually just had no talent or whatever. Like I could totally see him being like a successful character actor. In 2016, he scaled Mount Everest. And in 2020, at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, he launched a mini social media campaign trying to convince people to follow the stay-at-home orders by sharing his experience with self-isolation. But we return to the question of personal responsibility versus exploitation. There's a moment during the second phase of Nusubi's challenge when he's whisked away from the Korean theme park to the new room, where the producers are heard on camera telling him that he doesn't have to do the challenge, and if he chooses to do so, he can leave. And Nasubi says that he wants to do it. Though this story paints a picture of Nasubi being held against his will, some of that is clearly a bit of smoke and mirrors for the sake of the camera and audience. So Nasubi is not literally being held against his will and forced to do these things. But what about the fact that these producers know that Nasubi would do anything for just a drop of fame? The thing that's been packaged and sold to him and all of us as the be all end all of the human experience. The only thing that would truly fill that hole we have inside of us. The only thing that will make us complete people with true purpose. The producers knew they held that power over him and they exploited it to its fullest extent. 
And Nasubi put himself through hell in the pursuit of the promise they made him because they knew the process would extract precious content. Nasubi is all of us, constantly locked in this self-flagellatory spiral to be seen and validated by people we don't know simply because they can see us. And the lack of their attention has morphed into a deficit through the transformative properties of global connection. We're all in that room, torturing ourselves to taste fame and salving our anxiety, depression, and loneliness with things. The dopamine rush of hearing a knock at the door and knowing it's not a person, but a box of stuff. And just like him, there's some group of assholes watching us from behind a curtain, coaxing us on, feeding our cravings for their own enjoyment. There's a lot of dark stuff in this episode, man. Yeah, it's it's one of those, it's funny because I was, I specific, like, in anticipation of 8 a.m. cuts, I was like, there's a very particular type of 8 a.m. cuts that works. Like if, if we do like a, 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 if we do a dark cuts, like the energy will just be bad. Like it's already worked. We're tired. It's the morning and it'll just, it just won't work. And if we do like a really long, really like academic one with a lot of like super research, once again, just the energy is just not there. So it's got to be like a fun one. And it's funny because we did the, or you and <laughs> you and Andrew, I know this from Andrew's personal journals that I found. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, you you did you did the Chiquita banana episode as an eight a.m. cuts. And the funny thing is, even though everyone calls that one a dark cuts, it's kind of not a dark cuts. I mean, it's a, it's a dark cuts in subject matter, but that episode has a lot of goofy, fun stuff in it. And I think this is the same one where it's deceptively goofy and fun. But in reality, it's really dark. And, and, and also, I just it's just so crazy to me how this just what they did and what Nasubi went through. It just it just like it predated our modern world by like 25 years. Like what this show is just became life. We're all in tiny little rooms. And it's like you see it. You see it all the time. I mean, obviously, not everyone does this, but a lot of people do this. I'm struck by the surreality of this on a daily basis, whenever you open up TikTok and you flip through the videos and it's just hundreds of people just alone in their rooms, looking at their phone, being like, you know, the thing that I think about this thing is that it's like this. And then you flip the next thing and it's like, well, I think that the thing about that thing is that it's about this. And then you flip to the next one and it's someone doing a goofy dance or whatever. And then you flip to the next one and it's someone just like crying. And it, we're all just in tiny rooms alone trying to get other people's attention. Like our world has become the fucking life of prizes. And that's, it's just so unfathomably dark. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. This has been Deep Cuts. You can find me online at heydavebaker.com. Uh, where you can uh, you can pre-order my book Halloween Boy, the second volume of which is about to come out. Um, you can also come see me at Small Press Expo in Bethesda, Maryland, September seventeenth or eighteenth and nineteenth, eighteenth and nineteenth. I'll be there. Uh, so if you live on the East Coast and want to come say hi, please do so. Uh, the Small Press Expo is really great. Just Google Small Press Expo and you'll find out the relative information. Spandrew, where can people find you on the internet? Well, I'm I'm more of a, a Fallout New Vegas guy, so I prefer Obsidian, Maryland over Bethesda, Maryland. And that's a that's a that's a deep cut video game development joke that some of you will get. Uh, but you can find me in my tiny little room waiting for the next package to arrive so that I can open it up 
and feel a tiny dopamine rush from getting a new thing, new stuff, while I attempt to reach out into the lonely void and have somebody, anybody, see me and get a fleeting parasocial glimpse into the hypothetical possibility that whenever I die, they might care. And you can also not find me on social media because I don't use social media. I'm not like all of you sheep out there, even though it's just blatantly not true. Uh, and this whole thing is kayfabe. But if you want to pay respects to the dear, beloved Papa Pricey, you can get his book, Deadbolt AI Private Eye, by going to dapricerights.com, clicking on the shop. You can also follow us on social media, on Facebook, search Deep Cuts Podcast. You can join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group, where we talk about the show and make memes. You can join our Discord server, bit.ly.com slash Discord, where we talk about the show makes memes and also talk about other stuff. You can follow us on Instagram at DeepCutsPod. You can follow us on TikTok at Mystery Treehouse. You can go to our website, DeepCutsPod.com. Click on the shop. You can get t-shirts, hats, fanny packs with cool Deep Cuts graphics on them. You can also get the Mystery Treehouse Junior Sleuth shoulder patch. And there's still a couple of Simple Code tape comics left. I'm just going to keep saying it until they inevitably get sold. And I know that to you, it might sound like I'm just saying this over and over again, and it's not having an effect, but slowly over time, there's a purchase here, there's a purchase there. Eventually, they will all sell out, sell out, and then we won't have any more probably ever again. So they're up there. It's a, it's a, it's a hi-fi tape release of the nine-track Napster musical album written and produced and performed by Andrew and Dave with a full-color five-page comic written by Andrew and drawn by Brandon Nebbett with... Cover colors by Shannon Willett. It can all be yours for the low, low price of $12.99. Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content. The incidental music for this episode was created by D. Catalano, whose music can be found at wekeepoddhours.bandcamp.com and Dad Beats. You can listen to his podcast, Food Fight, a food discussion podcast, anywhere you get your podcasts.